Good to see everybody out this evening. Want to thank Dan for helping me out this morning. And thankful for all of your prayers of concern for our family. Last Wednesday evening in our adult class, we had started to discuss some things as Dave was leading that class relating to the face of God. And I started to jot down a rough outline as we were talking about those things. And as I was putting the lesson together, I soon realized that I had two lessons. And I had intended to give part one and two this morning and this evening, but we'll have to postpone part two until next week, Lord willing. So we'll plan next Sunday evening to look at part two. But as you think about the face of God, many have wondered down through the course of time, well, what does the face of God look like? Has anybody seen the face of God? What does the Bible have to say about the subject? On John 1 and verse 18, it says there, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So, that's the lesson. We see the answer there, and that's really all there is to say about it. (laughs) Yeah, you ready to sing? Obviously, this one verse tells us a lot about what we're about to study. But obviously, we have other things to say. Even though nobody, according to what John writes here, has ever seen the face of God, now we're talking about a a physical human being when I say that, we can still study quite a bit about his face and some things related to it. There was one who came awfully close to seeing God's face. And that individual was Moses. We read about this interesting story back in Exodus chapter 33. You start there in about verse 18. And Moses and God have been speaking back and forth here. And so Moses says to him, please show me your glory. And as we continue to read, we come to understand that what he means by that is, allow me to see your face. But God replies in verse 19, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he goes on to say, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. The Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And we sing a song that uses 
that language, and now you know where that comes from. But verse 23, he says, uh, After I've passed, then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, as you stop and think about all that took place here, even though Moses didn't see the face of God, you can imagine just how amazing it was to see any part in a physical sense of the Almighty, and Moses was permitted to see that. Now we might say, well, what about certain passages that seem to suggest otherwise? As one example, Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10, well, what does that say? Here, again, speaking of Moses, it says, But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, notice whom the Lord knew face to face. And so you read that and you think, well, that's strange. Uh, It seems to suggest here that Moses did see God's face. I think as we look at some other passages, we soon understand the meaning behind what is said there. Now, obviously, we know from the other passage that God did not permit him to see his face. So then what do we mean when we read things that talk about God and Moses speaking or conversing face to face? One place we might go to help clear that up is in Numbers 12. Numbers uh, chapter 12, and we'll start there in verse 4, read down through verse 9. It says, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud, and he stood in the door of the tabernacle, and he called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. And he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. But he says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. And then notice it says, Even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. And so why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Turn too far there. And so the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. So on this occasion, a little background, uh, Miriam and Aaron had spoken against Moses, if you jump back to the beginning of chapter 12, and so that's why God is saying this to them. Kind of in other words, how dare you speak against Moses, knowing uh, how special and unique he is amongst those that would be prophets. So you notice here as he uses this same phraseology, this I speak with him face to face, he goes on and kind of qualifies what he means by that. And notice he says, even plainly and not in dark sayings. In other words, uh, God in times past through a conversation with different prophets, uh, would speak to them, but not necessarily just in a everyday kind of conversational way, but it would be kind of a message that he wanted to relay. And then it was up to the prophet to interpret that and 
and make application, etc. But he says, with Moses, I speak with him just plainly, just like a, a friend would speak with, uh, with a, a buddy or a colleague or something of that nature. And notice he goes on and qualifies that Moses sees the form of the Lord. Uh, but it is plain here that when he says face to face, he's not meaning literally that Moses saw his face. Now, another place we can go is to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 5. And in this context, we find that Moses is reminding or reviewing uh, the Ten Commandments. He's reminding Israel of what God had revealed for them to follow. And so I'd like us to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump down to verse 22, because everything in between there is him reviewing the Ten Commandments. But the things that he says before and after are, are helpful. So verse 1 says, Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you. Now notice, now Moses is talking about the Lord talking with all of Israel. And notice the way that he describes it. He says, the Lord talked with you face to face. Isn't that interesting? He says that this occurred on the mountain from the midst of the fire. And he says, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. And so, starting in verse 6, he goes on and starts explaining and reminding them of the Ten Commandments. Now we jump down to verse 22. And he says, these words the Lord spoke uh, to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire and the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So here we find Moses is reminding them of how God spoke to them, all of them, when they had assembled at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses, of course, was uh, the intermediary between God and them uh, to convey plainly to them what God was saying. Uh, but we see here that even though he uses this phrase face to face, that it's very apparent that they didn't actually see God's face, that they saw him in the form of the cloud and the smoke, and they heard the thunderings when, he, when he, uh, his voice uh, came forth, and they saw the fire and all of these other things. Now, kind of as an aside, I wanted to jump uh, back to Exodus chapter 34, which is in the midst of all these happenings that we're talking about. I just wanted us to notice something interesting. In Exodus 34 and verse 29, starting, it says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down. Now Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him that is, with God. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called to them, 
And Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned. And Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he came, uh, he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. So this is everything that Moses uh, later in Deuteronomy 5 is reminding them of. And so it says, when Moses had finished uh, speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Uh, but whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face uh, that had shown, Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in uh, to speak with God. So I just wanted to highlight that because it's interesting that it just kind of shows us the power or the effect of God's presence on a human being. Here Moses went up to the mountain where God's presence was. Didn't see his face, but he didn't have to. Even though he was just there in his presence, when he returned back to the congregation, his his face shone. <laughs> it's just kind of an interesting detail uh, that we're given there. The Apostle Paul, later in his second epistle to those in Corinth, would refer to that as he talked about uh, the veil that was still present on certain of the Jews as they heard the the good news of Christ and they didn't want to accept it for what it was. They were still not able to understand the connection between everything in the old law and all that Jesus fulfilled. But that's another story. Uh, so coming back again to this question here, I think one final thing that we might consider that just kind of shows us beyond all shadow of a doubt that there are times where this phrase face-to-face doesn't literally mean face-to-face, but more is suggestive of this plain or intimate conversation that is being had. Uh, We had noticed earlier the account there in Exodus 33 takes place right at the end of the chapter where Moses again had asked to see God's face and God had denied that request. In that same context, if you jump back to verse 11, Notice there again, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So that shows us, looking at it in the context of that other passage there at the end of the chapter, that um, this is not talking literally, but in a figurative sense. Now, another question that might arise as we think about these things is, well, who did Jacob see face to face? You might say, well, what are you talking about? Well, there's an interesting account back in the book of Genesis in chapter 32. I'd like us to turn there together and we'll read that. Genesis chapter 32. In verse 22 is where we'll start and we'll read down. Uh, almost to the end of the chapter, through verse 30. Now, you recall there was strife between Jacob and Esau for a number of years, and that all pertained to things that Jacob did in a deceitful fashion to get the birthright and the blessing from his father. So Esau was not happy with Jacob, as you recall. Well, In the larger context here, what we're about to read, we find that uh, these two are are kind of reuniting, if you will. 
But in verse 22, it says, uh, He arose that night, now this is Jacob, and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. And Jacob was left alone. And it says that a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. You'll notice there that man is capital M. So this is not a human being that comes along and says, hey, you want to wrestle? <laughs> this is something else, okay? Now, verse 25 says, when he saw that he did not prevail against him. Now, these are capital H's. So, in other words, this man, capital M, is not prevailing in his wrestling match with Jacob. So, when he sees this and understands this, it says that he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And his hip was out of joint as, as he wrestled. And so he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. So he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled, notice, with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. He said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Especially in light of what we read at the beginning in John, and what we read all this about Moses, and how Moses was told that he couldn't see God's face, lest he loses his life, right? The glory would be too much. But yet here we find Jacob wrestling with this man who he refers to as God. And obviously, as you're wrestling with somebody, you're going to see their face, right? So how do we reconcile all of this? And how do we make sense of this? Well, I think that the prophet Hosea gives us some insight here as to who the individual that he wrestled with actually was. Verse 3 of Hosea chapter 12, it says, speaking of Jacob, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Now he's going to now qualify, what do we mean by God? Verse 4, yes, he struggled with the angel. Now notice angel is capitalized. And he prevailed. And he wept and sought favor from him. Found him in Bethel and there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. Now this is not the only time we read about this angel. In fact, various times throughout the Old Testament we read about the angel capital of the Lord. And as you study all of that, and really it's a, it's a whole study in and of itself, but it seems to be the case that when Jesus manifest himself before he was actually born into this world as a human being, that he was referred to as the angel. 
of the Lord. And because of the way that this angel is referred to as being God, uh, it seems to be logical to conclude that this is the identity of the one that Jacob wrestled with. We know in John's Gospel, in the very first chapter there, very first verse, it says that the Word in the beginning was with God and the Word was God. And so Jesus is a part of the Godhead. Now, another place we might look at <clears throat> on this particular subject is in the book of Judges and chapter 6. Now, in this context, we're reading about Gideon. And if you remember the story of Gideon, he was one of the judges of Israel, hence the book of Judges. You might have guessed that. Uh, but at the time that the Lord appeared and called Gideon to go and, and serve him, uh, there was a lot of nations that had banded together, the Midianites in particular, to oppress the Israelites. And so Gideon was kind of his chosen vessel to deliver them out of their hand. So as you read through the first part of Judges chapter 6, we find that you know God appears to him and explains, look, I've chosen you, and Gideon's very unsure of himself, and he's, are you sure you really want me? You know, I'm, I'm really not the one you want to pick here. And so as we pick up in verse 17, uh, we find that Gideon is kind of asking for a sign just to confirm for him that this is really God that I'm speaking with here, that this is really legit and I'm not just you know, hallucinating or something of that nature. So starting in verse 17, uh, he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. So this one who is described as the angel of the Lord, you go back to earlier in the chapter there, he says, why well, will wait until you come back? So Gideon, verse 19, went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And it says in verse 20, the angel, capital A, of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And so he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So kind of a, if you remember the contest that Elijah had on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, it's almost like a miniature version. <laughs> so fire comes out and consumes this offering. Now, verse 22 is kind of key to what I wanted to, to notice here. It says, Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord, notice, face to face. And so here, obviously, the context forces a literal interpretation of that phrase. But we see that in cases where somebody saw one who is described as God in the Old Testament saw their literal face that it is always in reference to this angel of the Lord rather than God the Father. 
So it all falls into place when you study these things out. Now, I wanted us to conclude the first part of this two-part lesson by thinking about the fact that even though no one down through the course of history, no human being has ever seen the face of God, the scriptures tell us that one day we will see his face. We read in 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, uh, it's reminding us, first of all, of what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. It says, therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Referring back to the things that Jesus had spoken to his disciples. You know, be not surprised if the world hates you, for it hated me before it hated you. Verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him, notice, as he is. We are going to see him in all of his glory in that final day when we are changed, when the judgment takes place. And notice in verse 3, it says, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, as we think about who's being talked to here in this passage, he's talking to those that are children of God, right? That's very apparent. How do we become a child of God? Well, if we come back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, here Paul is writing, he says, you are all sons of God. We might say children of God. How? He says, through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. You are the ones that have this hope that John wrote about. And thus, we purify ourselves. And The Hebrew writer has something to say on that note as well about the need for us, once we become a child of God, to persevere and to continue in our faith until the end so that we can see his face. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, God speaking here, my soul has no pleasure in him. But the Hebrew writer says, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So, as we think about the face of God and what the scriptures have to say about it, we understand that, again, no one has ever seen the face of God, and we're not really given a description of it. Now, I say that kind of as a preview, because we are going to talk about some things that kind of give us an idea of what the face of God looks like, but we're going to get into that, like I said, Lord willing, in part two. One thing is for sure, that if we are found in Christ, as we've just noticed, 
and we have a valid hope of seeing his face one day. And that's a wonderful thing to contemplate, and it's a wonderful thing to have hope of. And so as we conclude this evening, if there would be anyone here who needs to put on Christ in baptism, who needs to maybe make correction in some way, or ask for prayers, whatever it would be, we would love to assist you with that. And so as our brother is about to lead us in uh, the song that he's selected, what's the title of that song? That's what I thought you picked. Prepare to meet your God. We're all going to stand before God, and that's kind of an interesting thing. We're all going to see his face, whether we want to or not. The question is, are you going to see a smile? Are you going to hear, come, inherit what has been prepared for you? Or are you going to see a face of disappointment and hear the words depart into the everlasting punishment of fire? Choice is ours as to what that meeting will be like. Thankfully, Christ has given us the ability to make that a a happy meeting, one that we can look forward to. So, as you prepare to meet your God this evening, think on these things. If we can help you in any way, let your requests be made known while we stand and sing.